Hello, Date Night fam. Tony and Bree back with you from sunny Southern sunny. California. I am so glad it's spring. Yes, you do not like no. when it gets dark early. No, California is beaches and gold sun. So yes. whoever came up with daylight savings just needs to go and I don't know. <laughs> I think it was something about farming, right? Uh, that farmer was not happy and he went to bed early. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, it is spring light outside. Mm-hmm. The palms are blowing and Tony's happy again. Yes, ma'am. And we've got a fun subject today. Dating in a way that honors the Lord. That's it. And we have a special guest today as well. You ready for this, my love? Yes. Ethan, you ready? Special guest ready? Let her rip. If people could only see what's happening here, it's all being acted out. So a bit of context, Bree and I were asked to do a Q&A about, I don't know, two, three weeks ago for college students at the church, and we had an absolutely great time. It was so awesome. So the group was mostly 20-somethings, and they turned in a ton of questions, and we spent, I don't know, an hour or something. I think it was over an hour. A long time. We talked, old people talk way too much, just trying to give answers on relational stuff, dating, courting, sex, communication, dealing with parents. And, and the DTR. The infamous define the relationship talk. <laughs> uh, and everyone was so kind. And then afterwards, we had a number of people ask if we'd recorded it, which we didn't. Oops. And then it hit me. We kind of do this recording thing, you know, like a podcast or something. So that's all this is, just Bree and I rehashing all the questions and trying to remember our answers. And we needed someone to ask questions, so we brought mm-hmm. in a very, very special co-host today, and she's been on the pod before and needs no introduction. No introduction, our daughter, 14-year-old Peyton Faith. Hello, hello. And you've got some big news to share with everyone, don't you, my love? Yes, it looks like perfectly a team will be headed out to um, Africa. Africa this summer, and we are so excited, and the Lord has been providing the funds, and very thankful. How's mom feeling about your daughter going to Africa? Trusting the Lord's plan, but I think the bigger <laughs> question is, how is dad How's feeling? Dad feel? <laughs> Actually, I was with Ray Comfort a while back and telling him about Peyton and how I felt, and he said, well, when Rachel, his daughter, first went to India, he was nervous, um, and then it struck him with a sovereign Lord, she's in no more danger in India than LA, and so I was like... <laughs> Oh, mm-hmm. truth taken. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so we are going to hand the pod over to Peyton Faith now. No pressure, my love. Uh-oh. And you kind of run the show, ask questions, keep us moving. Uh, and then these will be good, hopefully, answers for you and for Ethan over there to hear too, just in case we've missed any of these over the years. Got it. Okay. I'll follow up the same order that Mr. Rand used for the college group, and he begins with a section titled Primary Principles, specifically asking, what is God's purpose for human relationships? Ooh, that's a long one. Um, let me try to do it real short. Three things. Number one, the theological, uh, that as Trinitarians, we hold the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, as in relationship, which distinguishes a Christian understanding of God from, say, Islam, where Allah can be all-powerful, but never all-loving because he existed by himself in eternity past alone. Um, that naturally explains, number two, the anthropological, big word, where in the Garden of Eden, God doesn't want Adam alone, but he crafts Eve. So God's own relational nature would continue in his image bearers. And we could even extend it to number three, what we might call eschatological, because in Ephesians, it describes all Christians existing forever in relationship unto God's praise and glory. So really from start to finish, we see in relationship, uh, it's kind of an emblem or an outworking of God's very nature and his capacity to love. And so... And what is biblical manhood and womanhood? Well, I'll let mom speak to the ladies. Biblical manhood, kind of if you take all the scriptures and put them together in the framework, uh, would be number one, humility before God, 
Number two, exercising dominion. For example, in the garden, Adam, you know, God told Adam to, to exercise dominion. We all will have an area of this world where we are to, you know, to work hard and to leave a legacy or an imprint. Number three is protecting his family. Number four, providing for his family. And number five, leading that family. And for the ladies, I always like to begin with Proverbs 31, that we are women Number one, with a trustworthy character. Number two, internal beauty. And number three, respectful to our spouse. Four, caring for our family. And five, productive. Wonderful. Speak to the issue of contentment because I am learning that the grass always seems greener. Mm -hmm. And for example, singles will want a relationship, but then dating couples will long for marriage. Mm -hmm. And then married couples look back, missing that they had the freedom of singleness. So what should we do? Well, for starters, there was no looking back for me. I am happy, (laughs) happy, happy. Great wife, great life. Um, I think for starters, we have to acknowledge that discontentment, although you don't hear this taught often in church, and it's certainly not something we talk about a lot in homes, that discontentment is sin. And if we don't confront the monster as sin, it will steal our life. You know, you already mentioned it. Kids want to be teens. <laughs> teens want to drive. Drivers want to go to college. College kids want to get married. You know, marrieds want a child. And you know, people with children want a home. And it just never ends all the way till we're sitting, you know, with a cup of Folgers on our porch and we're about to die. And we've never really lived for anything because we've always been looking for the next thing. So we got to confront it. Um, it's easy to pray, for example, thy will be done uh, in just verbally, but then get right up off our knees and not appreciate what his will actually is. This is what he has decreed for our life. So we need to confront discontent for the sin that it actually is as a starter. And I'd only add, the sooner we accept that there's no there, there, meaning we'll never have an arrival Mm -hmm. point where life is perfect, the reality is anywhere that he, the Lord, is there must be enough for us to have joy and satisfaction. And I'd recommend Thomas Watson's little book, The Art of Divine Contentment. So, so good. good. There's no there there. And make sure with that you, that book, you get the new abridged version in readable English, not yes. the old Puritan version. And our last foundational question, what are the basics of good communication in relationships? That is a good question. Loving others over myself. And this is totally hard in every relationship, especially in our marriage um, or dating relationship. The art of communication starts with the art of listening. Because if you think about it, a lot has to happen for good communication to go right. I mean, picture it this way. A thought has to be in my head, and that needs to be the right thought. And then it needs to formulate out of my mouth in the right way. Then it needs to pass through the air and all the distractions of life, you know, without getting filtered or hit or bumped or, or hijacked. Then it has to enter mom's ear, for example. And then it has to actually be processed in her mind the right way. And it's just not easy to have all that happen. And so we have to learn with one another to be truly loving, meaning we ask a lot of clarifying questions. Like when we're talking with someone and we get our feelings hurt, I call them HMUs. Help me understand. Yes. And WIMs. <laughs> what I mean. What I meant was, and always remembering the ultimate goal in those conversations isn't to win the argument. It's not to say, I won and then she lost, but it's to win the person. And I think it's important to acknowledge our differences and how, generally speaking, men communicate more informationally, you know, the toolbox type how-tos, while we ladies tend to communicate more emotionally, discussing how things feel or what they mean. It's totally true. During the early years of marriage, I learned to write down when I was at work, two to three neat things that happened kind of during the day, like on my hand, and then I'd have those ready. And all it really took was that 10 minutes of sharing when I got home. And then you, my love, felt like we bonded, you, you know, and it, such a good it husband. wasn't just what I did. It was you wanted to know how I felt and yes. who I related with. And that was the way that we emotionally connected. So important for young men to learn that. Totally. Okay. We're making the turn into a new subject dealing with parents. Mm. And I have to say, I'm very excited to hear these answers. So the first question is, 
How involved should parents be in our dating relationships? Okay, here's the biblical principle for this. Uh, We call it leaving and cleaving. I'm sure most people have heard that. Um, The idea that in the Bible, we leave our parents and we're to cleave or to be glued to our spouse, okay? But then we have to start working that out into component pieces or applications. So let me speak to the dudes, um, the guys. What we need to remember is that a girl, a gal is leaving the protection and like 18, 19, 20 years of relationship. We call it trust relationship of her parents. And she's slowly transferring that trust to you. And here's the key. That's not something that happens overnight. So number one, dating or courting is you attempting to earn trust. And so what you want to do in the dating season is you want to make it all about her family. You want to be involved in the family. You want to go visit the family so that number two, when you get engaged and you're ready to give the ring and and potentially get prepared for covenant, you're transferring that trust. And that's still a period of a lot of family because she should still have a lot of ties to her home, a lot of protection from her home, um, a lot of spiritual leadership from her father or her pastor. And then lastly, here's the key number three, marriage is when you're owning that trust for yourself as a young man. And you get to determine as a couple what your new nucleus will be uh, and set boundaries for family. And listen, all good parents know this, all right? We're raising you, for example, Peyton, my daughter who's here, we're raising you, Peyton, to divorce you. We're we're Mm. raising you to kick you out. We're raising you. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm handing you off at the altar and he's paying you for you from from that point forward and feeding you and all that comes with it. And so, you know, good parents understand that, but that transfer of trust is something that has to happen at the right way at the right time. Yes. And I'll never forget the moment when my life started changing and I came to my parents. I told them the ways I had sinned against God in prior relationships. And from that point forward, my dad met any man that wanted to take me out on a date with a shotgun at the door. (laughs) And I pretended to be embarrassed, but inside I craved Mm -hmm. his protection. I wanted his watchful eye and my mama's over me. And I hadn't experienced enough life to know what I didn't know. And I was still under their authority and needed their supervision and counsel. That's a transfer of trust. So yeah. you are still at a point where you're in your parents' home where he's the one that's protecting you and providing for you. And you had to have someone come in meet them and make sure that that was proven and ready before that transfer of trust could yes. properly be taken. Mm. And a personal follow-up. How do I honor and respect my parents when I'm an adult? Well, in the Bible, there's two uh, concepts, right? There's obeying parents Mm -hmm. in the Bible, and there's honoring parents in the Bible. And you, my love, are wonderful at obeying us because as long as you're living in your parents' home and under their roof, you need to obey them. But that's not true when you move out. You know, when you move out, honoring is what we do the rest of our lives. You don't have to obey your parents once you move out, but you still need to honor them. And all honor means linguistically is to give weight or to give value. So what we're doing is we're making sure that our words show our parents' value, our actions show their value, even our money, um, especially at the end of their life as they age and need end-of-life care, uh, that all of that is is showcasing their value. It's giving them weight in your life. And for the ladies, you, my dear Peyton, remember mom and dad aren't your enemy. We are your greatest advocate. And if the parents are believers, they want what you want. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way and the flesh, especially in the teen years, tempts us to not trust them. But it's true that they want you to marry the right man, to have a beautiful wedding, to build a God-honoring home and enjoy the blessings of walking God's ways. So in those years of transition, I just beg every young lady to press toward parental protection and not away Mm -hmm. from it. It's good. And one more on that topic. How do we honor parents when we disagree or when her dad refuses to bless our relationship? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm going to go right back to what I just said. That's the point of the transfer of trust. And mm-hmm. I'm going to speak to all the guys. If you're just dating and you're not engaged and you have not walked the aisle yet, it doesn't matter if you disagree. 
You haven't earned anything. You haven't done anything. There's been no covenant. Dating is just the infatuation stage, all right? So trying to transplant that 18 years of trust or 19 years or 20 years of trust overnight is just foolish and it's immature. So ask dad in that case how you can earn it. Romeo and Juliet was a great play, right? But it's a bad life. It was a tragedy. And splitting a gal from her parents based on immature feelings is going to create consequences that you'll have to clean up for years. All right, moving on to the next section, my favorite titled Search and Selection. And it starts off with the question, what should I look for in a spouse? Okay, I'll talk to the guys again. Start with her values. Start with her heart, um, her faith. Does she serve at church? Does she respect her parents? Is she careful with money? Does she keep her word? You know, how does she treat her friends? Because that's what will bless you in 50 years, long after the hair grays and the skin wrinkles and all that stuff. And for the ladies, I'd say look for someone who this young man is leading in his life. How does he lead? Is it sacrificial or is it selfishly? That's a huge indicator. Who is his authority? The word of God or his emotions? What dictates his decisions? And how does he handle trial with trusting God? Does he have a deep peace because of God being sovereign in his life? Or is there that anxiety? That's true. I like the trial thing too that you said. I think that's really, really important because until we've seen someone go through heartache and loss and maybe a health challenge Mm -hmm. or an issue with parents, we don't really know much about them. And I would also say you want to make sure that you're watching how they they treat their parents. Um, The way that a young man, for example, treats his mother or the way that a young lady respects to her mother or respects her mother and father is really going to be an indicator of how she'll respect and respond to you as a spouse. So that would be huge. So good. Okay. Would you date someone who is not a Christian? No. Um, Paul was clear about not being unequally yoked because without an objective standard, which is the Bible, that you both agree on, there's no alignment once the feelings fade. And let me just add to that with utmost love. If you marry someone for mere physical attractiveness, right, and you ignore the heart, in just months, you'll hate yourself and you can't really go back. You'll pay for that literally the rest of your life through divorce or alimony or whatever follows. And to follow up, what about an evangelical with different doctrine? Like if he or she is a Christian, but attends a more charismatic church. <laughs> I remember what the guy said who asked this question. He said, what if she's a 10, but hyper charismatic? <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, still, you got to be careful. Um, She could be a beautiful shell, but a weird nut, um, or vice versa. He could be a really hot shell, but a weird nut. And if you're not doctrinally aligned, here's the challenge. You're going to have no source of authority. There's no objective guide. Mom mentioned that just a second ago. What do you do when she comes home, for example, with a $2,000 purse? And you're like, what are you doing? She says, well, the Lord told me to buy it. You know, what about which church you attend, how to raise the kids, how to resolve conflict? If you don't agree on the word, inevitably, you're going to splinter. Hmm. And another follow-up, what role should physical attraction play in choosing a spouse? Well, I'd say God gave us eyes, so it's okay (laughs) to use them. But we do need to go in the right order, which is first, his or her character, and then second, his or her competency, and lastly, his or her chemistry. So it's healthy to be attracted to our spouse, so long as it's not number one. I got lucky, because I got all three in you, my love. Oh, I love boy. (laughs) And on to the next section titled, Wooing and Pursuing. One of the students asked, what is the difference between dating and courting, and does it matter? 
the name doesn't matter. Um, you can call it whatever you want. The issue isn't the name. It's whether you're doing it God's way or the world's way. So are you doing it right or are you doing it wrong? And just a little bit of background here, because I know this in the modern idea of dating two teenagers alone in a dark theater, most of us don't understand this. That is a recent experiment, 75 years, 80 years, 90 years. And that's not the way societies have worked for millennia. Most cultures did arranged marriage, and I know nobody wants that. But even in Western society, Americans held to forms of courtship where a suitor got to know a young woman in the context of her community. And let me explain the reason for that in three words. The historic form of courtship, or what we call dating, was inside out. So you think about it this way, from you know, picture three concentric circles from the, the, the middle circle to the medium one to the large one, all right? That was so there would be time for the couple to start with their faith, that's the inside, then move to the outer circle, the feelings, and then last of all, at the wedding, add the physical element. All right? And that's where things went horribly wrong the past 75 years was we flipped that entirely the other way. And instead of going inside out, we're going outside in, where dates start with the physical, and then maybe we start talking about feelings if there's some intense bond. And rarely, if ever, do we actually learn about a person's faith because we're so inundated and indoctrinated and infatuated with all the other stuff. And that's why there's been such rampant divorce, the spread of STDs, all the broken shells of young adults by age 30, because all they've ever known is relating based on looks. And that's the challenge because physical intimacy and romance fast forwards feelings light years beyond where the shared faith and values actually are. Absolutely. And that's the key to this whole thing. God made sex, all right, physical intimacy and romance to be a, a, a physical expression of a true internal covenant. But when romance happens outside that covenant, it's not expressing love at all. It's just expressing lust. Mm -hmm. And we did a pod on that a few months back so people could check that out. But that's why it leaves people insecure and broken and confused. And they just have a lifetime of consequences because they're not doing it the way God intended. Love, what would you say to a young man or woman who wants to date God's way? Well, go in the right order, like I just mentioned. Number one is start with faith, all right? Then feelings, then physical. Faith is start by getting to know each other in a church community and with family always around. And so you get to see kind of who they are at the core um, and then let it move on to feelings. And so wait to discuss the personal feelings and transfer, like we talked about, that trust. After the friends and the family agree, it's a go. You know, <laughs> Basically, get to know them in community. Have all the people who love you most agree, yep, that's a good thing. You guys need to step out. Um, and then with a chaperone, begin talking about feelings. And then number three is the physical. Don't kiss until the altar. Don't do all the cuddling and the hand-holding and all that stuff. Allow romance to be the final and beautiful and ongoing expression of that covenant moment. Amen to that. And the next Come question on. <laughs> And the next question built here, when is a young person ready to date? Well, I'll jump in again and speak to the guys. When you're ready, number 1 to protect and number 2 to provide. So, first is your spiritual house in order. You have to answer that. Can you spiritually lead a princess to the king? And if you are not leading yourself, if you're if the Lord isn't working in your life, if his grace isn't an emblem and shining in your life, well then how in the world could you ever guide someone else toward it? So remember, you're going to have to give an account one day before the Lord for how you purified, how you sanctified, how you walked that daughter of his towards the throne. Second is your financial house in order, so you're ready to provide. And this is one of the reasons teen romances just don't work, because young men are writing emotional checks they can't ever physically cash. They don't have the maturity, the career, the savings account, even a car <laughs> to care for the girl they're, in quote, swearing allegiance to. All that does in a girl's heart is it starts a shot clock 
um, that you will not be able to inevitably fulfill. And that's why so many breakups happen and things don't work out. And I'd add for the ladies, and I know it's redundant, but trust your parents. When I was walking in the flesh, I didn't listen to my parents. I paid dearly. But like I mentioned before, once I allowed the wisdom of my parents to take hold, it was a beautiful game changer. Mm -hmm. And here's a really good question. What if a godly person is pursuing you, but you just aren't interested? (laughs) (laughs) No fly zone. Strike three. (laughs) You're out. Sometimes as ladies, we're too nice and we're not wanting to hurt feelings, but that just prolongs the pain and makes it worse. So loving others is kindly, kindly telling them the truth. Yeah, and I would say the same for the guys too is, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're very clear up front and you don't lead young ladies on. And sometimes we do that purely out of ego. Even in the church world where we know we're not going to physically take advantage of them, we still enjoy the attention long enough that our heartstrings get attached and all we're going to do is hurt someone. So love them above yourself. Share the truth in love. Mm. All right. And another How do I balance the pursuit of ministry and pursuit of a relationship? I assume that's from a guy um, because it's kind of about the calling. And I I would say, praise God, you want to serve the Lord. Um, But those two things are not mutually exclusive. A godly man charts a course for his life. And then he asks a young woman to join him on that calling. And then she becomes the first reflection of his ministry ability. And then the kids become his second. Read 1 Timothy chapter 3. I think it's verse 8-ish. If you aren't leading her well, then you won't lead God's people well. So all of it's ministry. All of it's an indicator of your calling. And what role should the woman play in initiating things? Mm. Is it okay to express interest directly or indirectly? Or should she just patiently wait and pray? I would say just wait and pray. Yeah, ladies, I say this with such utmost sensitivity and love. Please listen to me. Pursuit of a man, and let's just put it in a church context, in the world, you know, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's a whole other set of issues. You, you need to turn to Christ. But if you're saved, okay, and you're in the church, pursuit tells a man that you are not either mature or content in a sovereign Lord. And it tells a man that you're vulnerable. Now, there's two outcomes to vulnerability here. Number one is the wolves will use and abuse that. And that happens all the time. And it's hard, It's heartbreaking. And some of you even will right now go, yeah, I have consequences from that. But here's the other side. A wolf will use and abuse that, but a godly man, and I know this is hard, isn't looking for that. He's looking for a woman who's confident in the Lord's plan. Amen. He wants a woman who would be willing to walk with him through life in ministry, a woman who will be his strength and his counsel, um, and actually will pick him up and, and lift him up and encourage him in times of need. Okay, moving on to our next section, balance and boundaries. One of the students asked, how do we set healthy boundaries physically, emotionally, and time-wise? We just say set boundaries to honor the Lord, making sure your time and your touch both honor the Lord. And also chaperones, (laughs) Chaperones. always have someone with you. Um, There's no reason to be alone Zero reason to be on couches, watching movies, kissing and cuddling, sharing sweet nothings and all that stuff. It's all around better to be out doing ministry, spending time with church friends and with family. And that takes a ton of self-discipline and accountability. And here's the key. You want to set all that up before you're in the emotional moment. So make the decisions ahead of time. Here's the boundaries. Here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. And that'll protect you when the, the time of emotion does come. And this question builds on that. If someone crosses a boundary and sins sexually, should they break up? Yes, you you really should, because anything not done in faith is sin, Romans 14, 23. And if you're a Christian, the Spirit will convict one or both of you, and the outcome will be a lack of trust and joy. And true repentance, change, is required for a fresh start. It's really true, because once serious sin sets in and it's ongoing, trust vanishes and the relationship is bound for, for pain. But if you go directly to your parents, that's number one. 
Number two, to your pastor, and then you take a break. There's a chance the Lord will restore and rebuild that relationship one day and give it a new start. Love it. Okay, we made it to the last section titled marriage. (laughs) Your favorite. (laughs) I love it, love it. One of the students asked, when should a young couple start talking about marriage? Right away. That's the deal. You know, we're not dating to date. We're not dating to walk around and have a title. We're dating with an end game, right? So get to know one another in a community like we talked about. Then go to her father or pastor, share your intent, talking to the guys. Sit her down and explain the plan. You know, just say, hey, I've this career, this much saved in the bank. You know, I'm, I'm learning to grow in the word. I got good friends. I see your friends. You know, say you're a sterling young lady. That sounds old fashioned, but you're beautiful and godly young woman. And your father approves, you know? So then just give her a plan. Let's do three months phase one with your family involved, your church friends involved. Let's do three months of phase two, if that's working well, just the two of us with a chaperone. And then let's talk engagement. And if this is a go, we'll know we'll be married in a year, the kids in two. If not, I'm not going to waste in your time. We retain good conscience, holy purity, and I'll pray you on to your future husband. Yes. Obviously it's not always that clean though. Yeah, but that's what a godly woman Mm. will desire, a man who is clear about his intent and godly in his pursuit. And she must learn to respect his desire of righteousness. Yeah, because what he's doing from the beginning, and I know, guys, I'm making that sound way too easy and way too clean, but the reality is, is you're sacrificially leading right from the very beginning, and she's respectfully following right from the very beginning. That's the point. And don't get frustrated with a young lady who doesn't follow or won't follow if you're not able to lead. So would you suggest a short dating and engagement? Yes, absolutely. There are Granite Kingdom singles, and they have the gift of celibacy, but for 90% of Christians, you know, we're made to be married and to raise a family. So there's no reason to wait around. It'll just feel like, I mean, use Solomon's words there, carrying hot coals with the likelihood of getting burned. And all the parents need to remember that too. Let's all stop with the long engagements and you know, making our kids wait for the big destination wedding or Grandma Betsy arriving from Ireland. <laughs> if, they, if, they, if they love the Lord and they're committed to live by his word, bless this thing and hitch them up. Hitch them up. Hitch them All up. right. I think that is it. Yay. Well done, Peyton. You're a great hostess. And I think I we got agree. through those pretty quick. Well, if you're in the single dating stage and you have more questions, obviously there's so many more and there's so much we didn't get to. There's a great little book titled, quote, um, or titled Letters to a Romantic on Dating by Sean Perrin and Spencer Harmon. It's Letters to a Romantic on Dating. Let me just read a few quotes. You're going to like these, I think. Quote, um, our vision of dating creates our expectations for dating. So our vision of dating must be informed by God's word, not man's world. Oh, that's good. Discontent singles become discontent marrieds. The season of dating engagement are just canals in between. Here's another one. Quote, what matters most is not what you call dating, but who you are in it. Mm. I like this one. Quote, a, relational, a relationship maintained by manipulation has lost sight of any true love. And my personal favorite on this list, guarding your heart means guarding your worship. Oh, can I just close by saying that last line is the key to all of this. The only way to have a marriage in God is by growing in our obedience towards God, by walking daily to study the word of God. Marriage truly is not about our happiness, but about our path to greater holiness. Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us the principles to build healthy relationships, uh, but we need your help to apply them well. And we pray for all the singles listening as they seek your will and others best. Would you bless them with pure hearts, with prudent decisions and honorable boundaries, ultimately constructing families that honor you with all that they are. And we do know that in the world in which we live, it is a hard thing to be a young adult trying to navigate all of this. So please, Lord, send greater grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Well, Date Night fam, if you'd like to learn more about dating and courtship, visit forthegospel.org and check out our YouTube channel with last year's DTR conference taught by Costi Hen, Johnny Artavanis, and Tony. And an extra thanks to Ethan, our producer, Peyton, our hostess. And until next time, keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. Thank you.